Welcome to the Decent Crypto Podcast. Today is Saturday, June 25th. NFT NYC has just ended. We're coming to you live from New York City. I'm here with Matthew Blumberg. Matt, how you doing? I'm hungover. Yay! <laughs> NFT NYC was just one nonstop bender, uh, and it was like everybody had a different bender pace. It seems like everyone took one night off this week, and it's like nobody was aligned on which night. But no matter what, you were like partying last night. It was a it, it was a good week. <laughs> it's been a week of uh, sore throats and low sleep. Yeah, but we're here. We're here bringing you the decent crypto recap because that is what we do. We deliver, and we're here for you. Matt, what is there to talk about this week? There is so much to cover this week. Honestly, we're all just at the behest of Sam Bankman Freed. <laughs> this man tells us what to do and we do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's so just... it looks like FTX is just looking to kind of corner and take over the whole C5 market. Yeah. Uh, Devin Goldman Sachs. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened? Uh, BlockFi is now um, SBF's, uh, uh, I don't know. Um, so okay, so let's 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 take it back to earlier this week, right? Sure. Um, so the uh, the first thing that happened this week is FTX uh, offered a two hundred fifty million dollar line of credit to BlockFi, um, and I think like basically if you think about offering a line of credit, like I don't quite understand uh, why you would do that. Um, if you think the business is healthy enough, like why not just like take some equity? Like it's very very public knowledge yeah. that like BlockFi has been trying to raise capital in the form of equity mm-hmm. uh, at like any valuation basically. Um, and like if FTX believes the BlockFi is not going to go under and they're willing to provide like a line of credit, like why not just acquire some equity? Yeah. So then three days later, yeah. uh, they announced that they're uh, in talks like on the terms to acquire an equity stake in right. BlockFi. Yeah. Um, you know, the line of credit thing to me, like, really felt like they were just trying to like shore up public confidence mm-hmm. in BlockFi right. uh, because like everyone's been speculating like how much contagion is sitting on their balance sheet right now. Also, if you're going to take equity in a business, it's kind of nice uh, for them to have some extra cash before you do that. Mm, and, good point. Uh, you know, maybe you can inject them with that cash. <laughs> you can do it all. Yeah. <laughs> um, True centralization. <laughs> exactly, right? Centralized finance. Here we are. Uh Big brain move by FTX. Like, there's not that many companies that are this well capitalized at this point. So, why not? Yeah. Um, I mean, they, they raised at the exact right moment, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, and they were talking about someday being, big, being bigger than Goldman or acquiring Goldman. What were they saying? They said that if it was, if we got to that point, we wouldn't hesitate to look at. Acquiring Goldman Sachs, <laughs> but Goldman, you know, making their own moves in the space. Making their own moves. Yeah, um, uh, they are allegedly raising two billion dollars to buy up Celsius Finance's distressed assets. Yeah, um, you know, another story of the people that have money <laughs> just <laughs> buying up all this stuff on the cheap. Whales are accumulating, uh, that's what they say. Yeah, that's true, that's true. That means we're getting close to the bottom. Man, I do wonder what kind of discount you get on Celsius's distressed assets. For example, like, you know, Lido Stake to ETH, right? Like, uh, that stuff's on, like, it's locked up, you know, kind of. Like, there's not enough liquidity in the market to actually sell all of Celsius's Lido Stake to ETH, right? Uh, at least on chain. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, you kind of do have to hold some of that. Um like what kind of discount do you get on a on an asset that like is locked effectively with an unknown like vesting date 
I don't know, but I do know, having talked to some OTC traders, that there have been folks like Big Desks that have reached out to Three Arrows and basically offered to connect them with buyers of GBTC. Oh, interesting. uh, Over the counter. And uh, yeah, they've been ghosted. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Grayscale's got a a big SEC decision date like approaching. July 6th or 7th or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I think the the rumor is that like they may, or the speculation that I've heard is that they may like uh, try to get it in before the holiday weekend. Uh, like this is what happened on Memorial Day with uh, like One Rivers uh, like uh, ETF application, mm. um, and then I guess it gives the market an extra couple of days. Not that it matters because crypto t- trades literally twenty four seven. Oh, so they're gonna deny it, and then it'll be a long weekend where all the prices just nuke because crypto is the only open market at that time. And yeah, so that's very targeted. We, that's when we bid. Yeah, Even uh, Arthur Hayes wrote about this. Really, that's the most off putting thing. Yeah, huh. It's like, looks like most of the liquidations are done, but there is one final event that could bring all this to a head. July 4th. uh, (laughs) Yeah, that's right, yeah. Um, Okay, what what is most interesting to you about this? Uh, Do you think there's anything notable about FTX, Alameda becoming the lender of last resort here? Absolutely. I mean, like, uh, yeah, the, the first thing is that, like, we're in this paradigm of, I want to say it's even been the rhetoric that, like, FTX and SBF have been using, which is that, like, we're the lender of last resort. Like, if, have you they, know, Has he said that? Uh, I, I think it's, like, the, the official rhetoric has been surprisingly close to that. Um, and, uh, like, it's really interesting, right? Because in typical markets, when, like, liquidity isn't functioning as normal, like that's when the fed steps in and sort of facilitates things like that was like a big part of what happened during covid is like you had these like revolving lines of credit that like companies were like getting called on uh and like they couldn't afford to like raise money in you know the public debt markets uh and uh and the fed stepped in and said yeah we'll like we'll fund a whole bunch of stuff right so they like bought a whole bunch of like bonds from like boeing um was like one notable example um and uh FTX is basically coming in and being the lender of last resort. Uh, and I guess it's like, if like the establishment isn't going to help us, like we'll help ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, fascinating. Right. Uh, I mean, incredible move by him. I think that it shows his conviction in kind of the industry, the assets themselves, um, himself yeah. and his team. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. Like, do you think these companies, like what happens to these companies, you know, like Celsius and BlockFi? Like fundamentally, they're the same business model, right? Uh, is this a, like a sustainable business model, or are these eventually just uh, like product verticals of an existing like business, which is a exchange? Because uh, like w- loans are not. That's not like you know, like banks just do that. Right. Yeah, I, I would classify both of these as banks more than as exchanges. Yeah, uh, exactly. So, like, um, you know, in the equity markets, for example, right, like when you want to take leverage on, uh, you post some collateral in the form of like shares of other companies that you're. So, if you're like a long short hedge fund, for example, uh, you are long some stocks, right? And you hold those with a given like prime broker. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, prime brokerage is like the solution that's been invented in traditional markets that does all of this. Yeah, right? I mean, I would, I would call like, I've never quite understood the difference between custodianship and prime brokerage uh, if like they're going to offer like leverage services as well. Uh, I think in traditional markets, there's 
regulations where you can't have your assets custodied at the same place. Hmm. Right, like, isn't that why you have custody of the same place where you're taking a? I think like route? it has to be separated, right? Like, just something about like the custody of assets. Huh. Um, I, I look, I'm, I'm pretty unclear this, on this. I'm it the would, wrong person. It would be to talk so great this. to bring a guest on to talk about this stuff, right? Like, yeah. uh, but um, at at any rate, um, the issue is that like in crypto, like especially today when you have this like macro driver uh, of like just everything is down for the same reason, mm-hmm. um, then all of the collateral like you know becomes less valuable at the same time that like all of the assets of like if, if people are borrowing USDC against their Bitcoin. Like the stuff they did with that USDC, if they're long, like is going down more. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so you have this like strange situation of like Bitcoin and Ethereum by nature of being like the highest quality, historically lowest volatility assets mm-hmm. in the ecosystem. Uh, they become sort of like the grade A collateral. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, naturally, if you're uh, if you're borrowing against that, you're probably borrowing against it to go into something riskier. Right with like a higher beta to the mm. overall crypto market, um, yeah. versus in equities, like if you're long some stuff and short some stuff, right? Uh, like generally, like at a large like prime brokerage, you you'll have a risk team that manages something called a central risk book, mm-hmm. um, and they will like be very careful to make sure that they're not overly exposed to a given industry or a given like factor, like high growth stocks. Um, and they have like high quality risk models to allow them to do that, right? Uh, in crypto, like those tools don't exist, the experts don't exist, and people like the the issue is that like talent in the like risk analytics space is not touching crypto, mm-hmm. right? They're they're mm-hmm. risk averse people by yeah. by their very nature. Crypto people are not touching risk analytics and modeling uh, because they're like degens, right? Uh-huh. Uh, so. Um, so you have an issue where like the tooling is not in place to like do a better job yet. But I, I do think that like as we go forward, you're a you're going to see like way, way tighter holds on like leverage. Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. Um, I mean, you got regulation wa- is coming. Yeah. OK, so let's do two things. Let's or let's do one thing. Let's play out both scenarios and how we predict or how we expect them to unfold. Right. So this. FTX and uh, BlockFi situation, right? So FTX has given them a massive line of credit. BlockFi is going to use that for what? To basically make sure that they're solvent first and to make sure that their customers can actually, like their balance sheet is whole, right? Like that's all they're using that for. Yeah. And so like their customers can continue to operate like and like use the service as it's meant to be used they can make withdrawals they can you know make deposits things just uh just just like uh just cash for the business right like operating expenses whatever yep okay i mean that's got to be their first priority right yeah okay and then ftx is also taking a equity stake and i'm sure they're getting a really good sweetheart deal there um that is also just going to be like go forward we just need to raise more capital to like make sure this is a solvent business like or just like a well-functioning business right like that's it i mean it depends on the capitalization right but like if you're like the cfo of block for example mm-hmm. like your line of credit you're probably seeing that as like for working capital to mm-hmm. like just keep the business functioning yeah. uh whereas like raising equity you might see that as maybe a little more appropriate as a source of funds for growth uh, right right strategic like, like whatever i, I guess yeah. i just mean there's nothing like touching actual assets um like maybe they have to purchase more assets just to make sure the balance sheet is whole right mm-hmm. or they just have like that it's sitting in us 
USD, but it's not like they're selling any of like assets like at a discounted price, anything like that, right? Um, I think that's the idea. Is okay, like, cool. Uh, if they could hold on a little longer, then they won't have to like liquidate. Yeah, perfect. On the other hand, Celsius is having to do that. Yes. They are maybe insolvent, right? But it seems like at any rate... They're, they're definitely insolvent. Yeah. At any rate, they're going to have to sell these assets that they do have on their balance sheet at a reduced price. And one of these assets being staked ETH, and that is completely locked up for at least another year, maybe a year and a half. Um, like staked Ethereum on the Beacon chain. Somebody will take that off their hands, but they're not going to pay full price for it. They're going to pay way less, maybe 50%. Um, I would assume it's like, I don't know, what, what's your over-under? You assume deep, deep discount on... Massive. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Beacon ETH is the least liquid of all of their assets, right? Um, could Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're looking at this from a, like, just pricing, like, a derivative standpoint, right, mm-hmm. uh, then ETH being down 50% would, like, make you, like, that's your break-even yeah. if you get a 50% discount. Like, mm-hmm. that's fully, fully within the potential set of outcomes oh, here, right? This is an 18-month bet. First of all, you don't even know when you'll get your capital back. Yeah, that it's, is it's a, a completely unknown duration yeah. of, of cash flow, mm-hmm. right, uh, or ETH flow. Like, there could be a complete complete disaster in the merge and there's like some crazy hard fork and you just don't know what where your funds are like what's going on you know i mean you you know where your funds are but there's just a lot of risk there's it's 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 an it's an unknown unknown yeah right uh yeah exactly um so uh, yeah i would say like 50 50 percent of the dollar do you say less over under um what would you pay what would i pay for uh beacon eth uh Uh, yeah, I'd probably pay, I'd probably pay a little more. Yeah. Um, if you ask me, I would actually pay, I would, I, if I was getting 50 cents on the dollar, I would just put in all my net worth. And yeah, exactly. Like 50 ever. cents on the dollar is a, like yeah. a very comfy number. Here. Easy, easy yeah. bet. Like I would ne- never think about it again. Yeah. Uh, I would just look at that in five years, you know? Um, the question is like, uh, the Lido staked ETH, yeah. right? Uh, like at what point, like, because it's obviously it's more liquid, it should trade at a, a less absurd, uh, like a smaller discount. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, what would you pay for that? Like when, do, how low does Lido staked ETH have to get before you're going to bid that? Uh, like 80, uh, 80 cents. Yeah. I mean, it, it's hit pretty close like, to that before. It has, right? Yeah. yeah. But um, it just wicked down there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, like. Because cause you can buy it at 80 and, and redeem or like trade it for ETH, right? In 18 or, months. 18 yeah. months, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't the, know. The difference is that Maybe you have like the optionality the price, of exactly. trading it today. Yeah. So you, so it has that uh, additional value baked into the to the discount there. Yeah, and maybe the uh, parity comes closer to one-to-one at some point, and you can make that 20% back even, right? Yeah, um, I mean, interestingly, so there's a testnet called the Sepolia chain, okay. uh, which was spun up as just like a practice merge chain uh-huh. uh, for Ethereum, right? Uh, and they just uh, like deployed like the actual like beacon chain and main chain for, for that. Uh, I want to say like yesterday, the day before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that'll be the next one to go through like a test merge. Mm. It'll be really interesting to see if like, so they have three, right. That they're planning on doing. The first one was Roopston, mm-hmm. uh, which went through like pretty successfully. Yeah. Um, the second one was, uh, is the Sepolia chain. And then the third one is going to be Gorley. Mm. Uh, and once they get through the three of those, the plan is to actually do the main net merge. Right. Um, so the timeline on Sepolia merge is end of like June, early July. Like it's coming up pretty quickly. 
I wonder if that's like a bullish catalyst for the staked ETH to ETH like ratio, or mm. if just like the sheer supply and demand forces in the market like are are actually the only thing at work here. So this is the interesting thing. Like the reason I was getting at this is that to me, there's just a lot of supply that's going to now come onto the market. Like Celsius, it's kind right. of it's been priced in a little bit that they're insolvent and that you know a lot of bad things might come of this, but. Now, all this supply is maybe just being put onto the market, and it might be sold OTC at a discount to a lot of these big parties who have no interest in actually holding it, right? There's a chance. Like, you know, they they might just buy it OTC and just hold it, but there's a really good chance that they don't do that. And if Goldman is raising $2 billion, that's $2 billion that's being raised, and that's like $2 billion of supply of crypto assets that's maybe going to just be put onto the open market like there's a chance you know yeah i mean look if it's when it comes to like bitcoin and eth like that's fine right uh when it comes to lido staked eth which like really doesn't have much liquidity that's mm-hmm. that's a pretty big number yeah uh, like uh it, it could substantially move the market there uh mm-hmm. but i i do think that like okay say you, let's let's play this out like say you're someone that's stepping in and uh, say you're the $2 billion buyer of like these assets. Like, so you go to Goldman, you say, I will buy the Celsius assets for $2 billion. Um, maybe it's a 50% discount or whatever. What you're effectively saying there is that like, you're skilled enough at execution to unload it onto the open market at, a uh, you know, in a better way than Celsius themselves could. Mm is sort of what you're saying here, right? Like that's that's your bet is that like your execution approach is going to not move it by 50%, whereas Celsius's would. So that's why they're willing to sell it to you there. Right, But or couldn't you just be saying that Celsius is in a really bad spot. They're gonna give us these they're giving us a deal just to like, and like to beat the fatigue because what they need to do is try to like make their depositors as whole mm-hmm. as they can. Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, and like you take that discount and you just capture the spread like on the open market. You don't really care that much about if you're like shifting prices yeah. by ten percent because exactly. you're at fifty percent discount. Right, that could happen. I do it's, wonder if the buyer. I, to me, it feels like the buyer's gonna have to be someone who actually wants to be long these assets and is like seeing this as a really good opportunity yeah. to enter the, to enter the trade. Um, see, I, I see two buyers, right? Like I see one buyer who is that. And then I see the second buyer who is like, our job is to make markets and like do arbitrage. And like, this is a generational opportunity. Yeah. But if you're that buyer, like why aren't you already trying to execute over the counter? Like, why are you going through Goldman? Oh, that's that's very fair, but it's like maybe those assets are only available through Goldman, right? Like, in like part of this restructuring deal or whatever, you know, yeah, maybe they're yeah. just working through Goldman. Because the idea that I saw is that Goldman is going to make this these assets available for other parties. Also, it's worth noting that there's like zero facts on yeah, this at all. Like, there's pure one small CoinDesk article that literally is like sources say. Um, so we're just chatting, uh, you know, two guys on a podcast, two guys on a podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, what do you think is next on, uh, the SBF hit list? After, All right. Where's he going next? What's he, what's he trying to pick up? Um, I think he could, uh, Ooh, interesting. Let's see. I got to think about this one. The SBF hit list. What could he go after? Could he go after Binance US? You know, he's just like, <laughs> oh, maybe I'll just troll. 
Um, I, I would assume Binance US hasn't had these poor risk practices, right? Like, uh, what? What an assumption. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I have no idea. Uh, let's see. The actual SBF hit list is probably way more like uh, Normie. I think he's going after Normie stuff next. Coinbase. I think he was like, oh, no, no, no. I'm thinking way more Normie. Um, wow, I'm thinking like a FanDuel type situation. Huh, interesting. Um, uh, I think FanDuel's too big, um, but. You know, one of these like Caesar sports books. I could actually totally see him buying a Vegas casino. That is my hot take here. Wow, that's a Let's good go one. SBF. Yeah. Buy a Vegas casino. Uh, name it the. Hmm, what should he name it? That's the bigger question to me. We'll think about that for the next show. <laughs> but uh, SBF hit list Vegas casino. Yeah. I can't come up with a better one than that. That's so good. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense, right? Like, I think it does. I think same it vertical, so same sense. customer base. Yeah, like, and uh, also he's already making this big sports play. Um, you know, getting arenas, getting uh, and like yeah, with the casino too. Like you don't have to buy the whole thing; you just buy the naming rights. I don't know how that works, right? So yeah. I think a FTX casino is in the cards. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Um, all right, Matt. It is time for America's. Favorite segment, the FOMO of the week. Outside of you not thinking of the FTX casino as your FOMO <laughs> of the week, what is your FOMO of the week? Oh, man. There's really only one candidate for me here. Yeah. AVAX. AVOX. AVOX. Oh, man. Let me read you a tweet that I think encapsulates this entire situation over here. Uh, for the uninitiated, AVAX is up like 40%, 50% on the week, something like that. Something like that. Uh, a lot of these shit coins are Solana, AVAX, uh, Polygon. Uh, Polygon's up 45 on the week yeah. or something. It's absolutely nuts. They're all, they're all ripping. And I think uh, nothing has uh, encapsulated this week better than Monkey Rothschild, Wasi Verse. What? On Twitter. <laughs> this is a Twitter character, Monkey Rothschild. He says... Bear market bounces and Amber Heard. Both beautiful, both eventually shit the bed. <laughs> so if this is your FOMO of the week and you actually got in, uh, yeah, I would take some profit. Uh, <laughs> uh, they, they, what is, this is like the most suckers rally I've ever seen. Look, so here's why. Uh, here's why I'm still a little bullish on AVAX. Oh, um, baby. So God, I cannot believe those words are coming out of your mouth. I know. Uh, look, I was saying AVAX to four. I still believe that's going to happen. AVAX at $4. Oh, my. Uh, don't buy it at 10 man. You're going to be down 60% when you yeah, buy it at 4 Yeah, I was like, okay, I'll buy it at 6 Yeah. Dude, buy it at 6 you're going to be down like 33%. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, uh, AVAX uh, initially took a really large hit the day that Luna went to zero. Uh -huh. um, and there was like, a, a big part of that was like the speculation of like, okay, like Three Arrows was really big in the Luna trade, right? What else were they really big into? AVAX is like mm -hmm. the, the number one thing that comes to mind here. Surely they're going to have to liquidate some AVAX in order to like be solvent, right? Mm -hmm. um, it dropped 45% on the day uh, when like Luna was down like 99 or whatever. Nice. Uh, I mean, that's, that's pretty large, right? Yeah. Uh, and then if you think about like where the fallout is coming from on Three Arrows now... <sighs> It's coming from like people that provided them like leverage uh, and loans and the assets that three arrows used to like collateralize were the, the majors, right? Like they definitely got better rates by collateralizing with their Bitcoin and ETH than they would on AVAX. Yeah. So my guess is that they've already sort of sold their AVAX, right? Uh, 
or like the AVAX is worth so little now that it's not really going to move the market. Whereas if you think about the the amount of collateral that's sitting on these like places like BlockFi, uh, it's all denominated in Bitcoin and ETH. And that's why like two or like over the last like week before this week, uh, Bitcoin and ETH were down the most, right? Yeah. Um, because those are the like gold standard uh, like collateral assets. AVAX, on the other hand, like I feel like the event is over for AVAX, right? I, I really don't think you're going to see like massive liquidations of AVAX token coming out in the next week. Um, I think it's I think it's happened. Wow, dude, this is the hottest take I've heard from you in a long time. Yeah, this is like uh, coming from an AVAX bear. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, like, I I don't want to use AVAX. I don't I don't see the future playing out the way that they do. Uh, and like, we did a really deep dive on AVAX like uh, mm-hmm. a while. It's ago. actually called the AVAX deep dive. Yeah, if uh, you haven't seen it, but uh, that's super interesting, man. Uh, why? Why? Okay, so no more for selling. Uh, what makes you say it's still going to six then? I, I, have, I have to question my assumption on that. Like, Damn. yeah, uh, like I was ready to short it earlier this week and then it started behaving like people wanted to buy it and it was underpriced and like, okay, here is my question. You got me thinking about this a while back and then I asked a bunch of Solana people the same thing, but with something like Solana, AVAX, Matic, anything where the token is a gas token but gas prices or gas is basically free and it's not gas is not free on avax but it's it's the idea is it's very low and like right now it is very low because the usage is low and the prices of the token is low but what what incentive is there for anybody to hold that token right uh mev so, uh, so it's the same sort of thesis behind any like proof of stake layer one token, okay. uh, being the net present value of future MEV and okay, MEV so- on AVAX, like the opportunities are going to proliferate really, really broadly because you have to stake AVAX in order to validate any of the subnets. Okay. And so me as the, uh, and you, you have made this point many times, like this analogy of the uh, net present value of future MEV, right? So basically any kind of value that any validator, miner, staker, whatever, right? Any block producer, any value that they capture as a result of transactions happening on the blockchain, that value goes back to those validators, like to those block producers, right? And so that's your incentive to actually own that token. Is that, that's your like, uh, that is your like uh, stake almost. That's your ROI right? yeah, on, exactly. your, on your staked asset. Okay. So me as of, a like, yeah. normal user, right? Just as an individual staker, uh, how do I get a part of that uh, value capture? Uh, I think, you know, the only, the only avenue available to you is going to be like some kind of super stake thing where like you can, you know, uh, you can stake with someone who is executing on MEV. Um, like a flash bots type like model. Yeah. You like, you delegate your stake to someone who's actively running a flash bots type. Yeah, uh, version of of snowman. Man, I thought this is the greatest uh, business model for a long time. Just run a ton of ag- like chain agnostic staking valid like validator uh, sets, um, and just like like your your moat there is just like the software that you write that like captures you know MEV. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really good idea. And then basically, like, you can effectively corner the market, right? Because if you look at validators that you can choose to delegate to today on any of these blockchains, like, they have a parameter that sets, like, what kind of fee they're taking. So they take a cut of, like, the the block rewards that you get. Mm. You just set that to zero, right? You, you could say, look, my game, my game here is not collecting the block reward. My game here is collecting MEV. And in order to have the best shot at collecting the most MEV, I'm just going to spend my time writing actual software that does this better than the next person. Uh, and uh, like, I'll just pass the staking rewards onto the people that stake with me. Mm. Um, and I can get more chances to capture more MEV if the more staking or the more delegators I, I attract. Uh, that would be kind of the business model there. Mm. Hmm. Um, well, the but, future yeah. is proof of stake, maybe. 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 Uh, um, what's your FOMO of the week? Uh, my FOMO of the week is not thinking of that tweet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have no FOMO in the bear market. I'm just enjoying, man. Fair uh, enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one more interesting thing that did happen, touching on Solana. This Solend situation. Oh, yeah. Is it time for the Dow bullshit hour? Oh, I didn't do the music. We'll have to put it in in post. <laughs> Kyle, the producer, please get the music ready. <laughs> it's time for the Dow Bullshit Hour. Matt, which Dows are spewing the most bullshit this week? Oh, man, there's there's two notable uh, Dow pieces of Dow Bullshit news that happened mm. this week. Um the Dow's have been busy. Uh, the so Dow's have been busy. The Dow's have been busy. It was a big week. <laughs> um, so the first one to cover quickly is Solend. Mm-hmm. Um, so Solend is like Ave, but on Solana. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a lend and borrow platform on Solana. Yep. Uh, uh, but I have a big question for you. Can it be called the Dow Bullshit Hour if it's not even claiming to be decentralized in the first place? This is a lending platform on Solana. How decentralized is it really? They have governance tokens, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's a DAO. They do, they do, they go, yeah. And the governance tokens have to vote to adjust protocol parameters. Yeah, so, they do, right? So it is a DAO. Uh-huh. Um, but their code, I want to say, is closed source. Uh, like, it's not it's not open. So this uh, is what I'm saying. Yeah, but, um, but it's still a DAO. It's still, like, a decentralized uh, group of governors that can set parameters for whatever, like, lending pools that they, they offer. Um so there was an issue here where there was a whale that had, um, or they're, they're calling them a whale. There was someone who took out a large borrow of USDC with Seoul, with Seoul as, um, as their collateral. Their liquidation price was $22. Mm-hmm. Um, they got pretty fucking close to that liquidation price earlier this week. Yeah, um, Solana was like almost at twenty four bucks or something. Something like that. We can we can pull up the chart. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay. We don't need facts on this podcast. N- factless podcast. It was at twenty seven. Mm-hmm. Was the low this this past week? We'll call it twenty four and just uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and so as you start to get closer to that twenty two dollar mark, you start thinking, okay, what's actually going to happen here if they get liquidated? Right? If the value of the collateral is so low that they need to like sell the collateral in order, <laughs> yeah, yeah. in order to pay back the USDC that right. was borrowed against so it. So what would normally happen in a decentralized protocol? What would normally, well, uh, what would normally happen in any liquidation in, in any liquidation is they would offer up say $10 million worth of assets for the price of 990 or $9.9 million. Mm-hmm. Right. Someone would come in and be like, that's super cool. All I have to do is 
give this protocol nine nine point nine million dollars worth of USDC, and they'll sell me. They'll they'll give me ten million dollars worth of soul for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, like the easiest way to execute this is to just flash loan it, right? Like you don't even need to have nine point nine million dollars. You can just borrow that for the span of the transaction from like a flash loan source. Uh, send it to the protocol and get your 10 million of soul sell 9.9 million of it into like uniswap or whatever uh and get 9.9 million usdc pay back your loan you pocket 0.1 million dollars um pretty good Mm -hmm. uh the issue here is that there actually wasn't enough on-chain liquidity to do that swap step interesting yeah uh in orca in like you know uh jupiter like uh in the like central limit order books even there, there just wasn't enough soul uh or there wasn't enough usdc to soul to to really execute that trade um and so they started to get a little worried they're thinking ah shoot we might not even be able to sell 10 million dollars for to recover 9.9 because there isn't any way to actually get nine point. Nobody on chain can get that nine point nine right now yeah. without having to like manually bridge it into the Solana ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Wait, 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 did they not know that there is a lender of last resort? Why didn't they call them? <laughs> call call up FTX. Yeah, yeah, it's just like yo, FTX brother, we can get you nine point nine million dollars of Solana on the cheap, uh, or ten million of Solana on the cheap. All you need to do is just uh, put ten million in put nine point nine USDC into into this pool. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. uh, So, um, wait, but actually, though, why did they not? Why do you think they didn't go that route? Let's talk about what they did first. Okay, sure, Um, sure, sure. So, uh, because it's a very interesting question. Um, What they did was they adjusted the lending parameters to -hmm. basically liquidate a chunk of this uh, account's holdings um, to try to, like, decrease the risk of, like, being completely insolvent. So they adjusted, like, the liquidation threshold a little bit so that, like, you would liquidate, like, a chunk of the collateral that where there was enough on-chain liquidity for it to, Mm -hmm. like, start making themselves whole. Mm -hmm. Um, Because they need to, like, pay back that USDC if somebody, like, tries to withdraw it, right? Yeah. and actually, for a minute, Solen was offering like 10% APY on USDC. Oh, and I was like, oh, I saw this. I, was, I didn't put it together. I was like, holy shit, why are they doing this? Is the bull market back? Like, yeah. um, oh, wait. On that same note, BlockFi also increased rates. Wait, what? Yeah. You didn't see this? <laughs> for all the listeners that can't see, which is all the listeners, Matt's making... Just a face of absolute disgust right now. Uh, I guess that's what they're doing with the capital. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they raise rates. Can you believe that? I lo- I saw it and I was like, there's no way that's real. But it is, dude. When your new boss is F- uh, SBF. You know? <laughs> um, I mean, here's the thing, right? Like, um, What I don't understand is why they didn't just let the liquidation happen. Here's the thing. Someone out there has enough USDC mm-hmm. and would be willing to take soul at like a cheap enough price Mm -hmm. and just like execute the arbitrage into the uh Mm -hmm. like centralized markets where there is enough liquidity someone would have bridged it yeah this isn't like the phantom liquidation which was exactly the same structure where like nobody was really going to bridge like that much usdc over to phantom right uh with solana like usd like circle supports Solana. Yeah. Right. You can send them 9.9 million. You can borrow 9.9 million. Yeah. According to Kyle Samani, there's infinite bid in Seoul. (laughs) (laughs) 
so yeah, I think it would not have been hard to get if it's ten million dollars, right? I don't, I don't like, think it was. I, I think, think it was more. bigger. I think it was actually very big. It yeah. was like a, in the order of it was like one order of magnitude bigger. Wow, it was like in the hundreds of millions. Um, still, uh, I do think they could have gotten two hundred seven million dollars. Two hundred seven. I think they could have gotten. I think someone would have come in and taken advantage of that opportunity. Like that's just an arbitrage opportunity. Exactly. Like, that's why I'm saying, you know, if FTX is out here making loans of 250 million, like they can come up with, or like lines of credit, 250 million, they can come up with 207 to capture a 1% spread. Yeah. Like and it was definitely right going to be bigger than 1%. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be way bigger than 1%, right? Yeah. hundred percent. Um, yeah. It's not going to be 100%. Well, no. I mean, <laughs> yeah, man. So it's an interesting approach. I don't. Do you agree with their approach? Do you not agree? What do you think? What would you have done? Um, yeah, I would have. Well, I do, I do think, like, if you're worried about it, I think your suggestion was a really good one. Like, start talking to people that might be able to, like, take advantage of this, right? Like, it's profitable for them, and it helps the health of your protocol and the overall, you know, good, is it a good look or not, you know? Uh, because now people are, like, going to be a little concerned about using Solend if, like, the and, like, moreover, they held a, a governance vote, and the voting period was, like, six hours. Uh, like, the vote wasn't wow. open very long. And, like, one person basically cast, like, 60% of... Or one account, like, cast 60% of the votes. Yeah. Um, you know, from, like... From my perspective, like, I do think that the, 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 like, naturally functioning market would have worked this out. The bigger issue for them was that, like, if it didn't happen, then all... Like, because they're... I think they're using an on-chain Oracle. Mm -hmm. The price that it saw for Soul would have been, like, so low mm. that all of the other sole denominated loans would have been liquidated as well. Mm. Um, that was the bigger issue was the cascading liquidation effect, right? Like you're pushing the on-chain price so low that like then all of the, you know, everybody that has put soul in as collateral is going to get liquidated mm. on whatever loan that they've taken against it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it just seems like such a no brainer for someone to come in and collect that free money. Like, is this not the same adversarial ecosystem that we were in six months ago? Right. And if anything, like now I'm thinking about it more and obviously if you're in soul lens shoes, it's different. But now that I'm thinking about it, it'd be so interesting to see how the market actually does react. If something like that happens, you know, it's kind of like shit. There's this fire sale happening. Does somebody step in and take that? Does somebody capture that arb? Like what happens? You know, I just kind of want to see, but now we'll never know. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting, right? Dow bullshit hour. Come on, Dows. Let um, us see what happens. There's another one. Yeah. Lido. Lido Dow. Let us see what happens. What happened? Right? Yeah. Let, uh, what happened with Lido? They're holding a vote to like turn off like Lido deposits or like pause Lido deposits because they're worried that they are controlling too much of the total supply of Beacon ETH. Uh, they're worried that like they are dominating. Uh, and how much do they have now? Like I don't thirty-five percent. Uh, is it that high? It's uh, quite high. I mean, that's pretty look, high. I'll look it up right now. Um, so, what were the events that unfolded exactly? Um, people have sort of been talking about this for a while now. Uh, like, Lido just built such a good product that like nobody else has bothered to compete with it, other than say like Rocket Pool. But it's a kind of a different model there. Um, mm -hmm. 
And so Lido itself is a DAO uh, and, you know, full of people with DAO-esque mindsets that are like worried about centralization. Um, and so they're holding a vote to uh, to propose like maybe like disabling uh, up until, you know, until like their dominance like goes below a certain threshold, like disabling yeah. new deposits into Lido. Interesting. I just thought it was like a really interesting like self-policing thing. Okay. And I also think that there's like a really good business to be built uh like copy pasting Lido. Yeah. So there are other liquid staking uh products. There's the there is actually a Binance one, Binance ETH. Hmm. There is a I forgot what the other one is called. There's like there's like two or three other ones. Um but yeah, I I guess yeah, it should not be this party that has so much power. I don't know. The other ones are her, uh, her Coinbase and Kraken. Kraken are the two biggest other ones, and maybe Binance. Huh. I want to say those are three of the biggest ones. I would assume FTX will get in there or is in there uh, at some point. So the other uh, Anchor A N K R is mm -hmm. another liquid staking one. Um, Stakehound P Stake. <laughs> Stakehound, uh, I've heard of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stakehound is the one that rugged uh, Celsius. Yeah, they lost oh, a bunch man. of money with Stakehound. Uh, yeah. So Lido TVL is like five billion right now, hmm. I guess. Um, it's quite a bit. Yeah. Pretty good bit. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, what do you think is gonna happen? Do you think the uh, Lido share is thirty one point eight four percent? It's pretty high. Pretty high. Uh, what do I think is gonna happen with this? I I mean, don't... it's worth it's worth pointing out that like Lido itself doesn't operate the validators, right? Like they have a large set of validators. They have a ton, they, yeah. yeah. And but you don't get to choose which validator you stake with. No, you you don't. You, uh, Lido yeah. chooses that on your behalf. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't know. I I really am not that sure what will happen with this. I think in the end they will probably let people continue to deposit. And I think what will happen is, at least this is what I would like to see, is that the market comes up with the solution and that, yeah, somebody comes up with a competing product. Um, it just feels like such a no-brainer. Like, create, like, a nice... Yeah, like, if this is really product. happening, right, like, why not just... Like, it, it must, it's probably a very hard thing to do, like, to, in, you know, building out the infrastructure. But, um, yeah, it seems like the opportunity is there for somebody. Yeah. Get after it, listeners. <laughs> um, all right, Matt. What else happened? Anything else interesting? Uh, um, oh, wait. The, this is a Three Arrows Capital podcast, of course. <laughs> so we got to touch on these homies. Uh, yeah, the lawyers are coming. Voyager uh, has said that they're going to pursue legal action against Three Arrows Capital. Uh, Voyager is also wrecked, it seems. Like, uh, they had uh, almost like 600, yeah, over $650 million uh, of exposure in, like, liabilities that Three Arrows still owes them. I mean, that struck me, like, pretty pretty hard, right? Because I don't think we've, like, really gotten a firm number from any of the other counterparties from of Three Arrows. No. Right? Like, yeah. Uh, uh, so I guess, yeah, Voyager also took a line of credit from Alameda. Uh, yeah. for $500 million uh, like a few days ago, five days ago. Um, so again, like, I don't think we've seen the spillover on the, from the three arrows situation at all. Uh, it has to do, you know, somewhat with the Celsius situation also where these like assets are coming out on sale. 
Uh, and like with three arrows there, I think there might still be some force selling, um, you know, from like we mentioned this on the last pod where a lot of other protocols were using them to manage their treasuries, uh, basically as just like a guaranteed yield. And like yeah, the, it was I mean, like I've a pass through service. I've seen quotes of like eight percent. Yeah, so it was like a pass through service, basically into Anchor, right? Like they were like, "Oh, we trust Three Arrows so much," and Three Arrows was like, "All right, well, we trust Anchor." Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Doquan, man, <laughs> the center of, of it all. This is what we're doing with our decentralized permissionless ledgers. Is trusting? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, right. Um, I think. We really haven't seen the end of it. I don't know. I know you said that there might be no more force selling on something like AVAX, but I don't know, man. I, I think just in general, I don't I don't know if we've seen the end of all of this. Just um, like more and more comes out, and it just seems to me like it can't have all been resolved this fast. Uh, I think that there are a lot of voices that are very quiet right now. And, you know, you're not hearing much, right? No, you're really not. You're not getting much information, even from the people that you're hearing from. Yeah, and, like, for some reason, like, there's this psychological thing, like, oh, we dipped below 20K on Bitcoin, and then we came right back. Like, all right, we're fine now. Like, I I don't know. It's just this weird, like, sense of ease and calm right now. Really? uh, You you don't feel like the sword of Damocles, like, above you? Like, uh, you know, this, like, metaphorical sword that's coming down on your neck at any point in time? Oh, I definitely feel it, but I feel like everybody else doesn't feel it. (laughs) I feel like it's going to come down very hard. Look, I'm bullish AVAX, right? Yes, that's the, yeah. (laughs) See, maybe I'm just not getting over that. I have recency bias from just being so shook and being an AVAX bull now. Uh, um, all right. Look, this I think, is not a three I, think an, podcast. I think an interesting angle of this here is Dow Treasury management. Okay. So obviously, like the you know the more effective Dow Treasury managers have uh, held their treasuries in USDC, mm-hmm. right? Um, as opposed to like their native tokens, right? Um, so then, like, what should they be doing with this USDC? I was having a conversation with a few people a few days ago that were talking about the fact that like DeFi yields are so low, right? That currently like you get a much better ROI on like a money market fund mm-hmm. in the off-chain world mm-hmm. than you do in Aave, mm-hmm. um, like just depositing USDC. Yeah. And they, they're, you know, the argument that I heard a couple of times was, well, like, why would you hold your DAO's like dollars in USDC in Ave, if you could like get two percent by putting them in like treasury bonds, right? Um, what you know, what's the purpose of that? Uh, and my whole argument was that like transparency is crucial for a DAO, um, and they have no choice but to put it into Ave. Who like, exactly is talking about two percent on money market funds? That maybe not, maybe not money market, but treasuries, right? Like, I think this whole concept of like you need to always be earning yield on your like USD or like any kind of asset is like the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my I life. I mean, like, I mean, it really bit a lot of people when they like delegated their treasuries to Three Arrows to manage, right? Or just um, to like, yeah, getting like yield on Celsius, like six percent on Celsius. It's like bro 6% ain't changing shit for you yeah like, you you're are not, not building generational yes, wealth 6% bro, at a time just stop drinking coffee like you yeah. know like <laughs> fuck off dude like <laughs> yeah I, I never got that at all like uh so I don't know this whole concept of like yeah we need to just be generating yield like 2% you know with like these different assets it's like okay First of all, look at the base asset that you're trying to generate yield on. It's the U.S. dollar. It's not a yield-generating asset. 
the yield is 0.001% right now from banks. There's a reason for that. It's inflating, right? Like there's there's fundamental reasons why you can't get yield on US dollars, even if there's stable coins, right? I mean, like, you can get you them can in, juice in it US bit. treasuries. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right? like, sure, yeah. Like that's the best way, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. That concept never made sense to me. Uh, no, I, I agree. You have to look at the underlying asset as like, okay, but like if the underlying asset is devaluing at greater than 2%, like right. why are you fucking around trying to generate 2% yeah, yield? Yeah, exactly. Like and just it's like, like pick a different asset, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. And, and there are other assets that you can, you know, like this is why we have different asset classes. You know, you yeah. can diversify your risk and you can... This is why treasury management is a very specific and very uh, like developed field. Uh, people are professionals at this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know, man. Like I, I think it's just this. Like the more I see, it shows just a lack of professionalism in the industry. And look, don't get me wrong. I came into crypto as like this full libertarian Bitcoin maxi like. You know, we need to bring a lot more anarchy into all this shit. <laughs> but now that I'm in this space a little bit longer, I'm like, all right, it's maybe not such a bad thing. All these like Wall Street people came in because some of this stuff needs to be buttoned up. I mean, um, but like, would you feel more comfortable if like you're a like participant in a DAO? And you hold those. Oh, it has to be token. in USDC. Yeah, for sure. Would, it needs to be in a gnosis you, safe that anybody can look at. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that's the only so way to go about the issue it. Yeah, is that like, like uh, if you're trying to like hire like treasury management professionals, like you know, they have two options here, right? Their option is to put it on chain wherever they can do best uh, or to like take it off chain and like delegate it according to their professional like, uh, you know, uh, skills, right? I, mean, uh, I think there's a very like uh, okay like uh, middle ground, you know, like if we can talk through this in 10 minutes and kind of come to a decent solution, like I think some professionals can do a decent job, you know, like I don't think there's like, just uh, one way or the other, like either money market or it's USDC and Anosis safe. You know, I think there's like ways to diversify your risk, like in other ways. Um, By holding non-US dollar denominated assets or like what? Like Yeah, like, I don't know. You can have part of it in ETH. You can have part of it in, uh, uh, yeah, like USDC. You can have a lot of it in... Um, like whatever, so you just hold, you know, a, like, hold a diversified portfolio. Yeah, yeah. Assets, like basically. I don't know, it's yeah, like yeah. traditional treasury management practices, but on chain. Yeah, I mean, when I think of traditional treasury management practices, I think about like trying to juice yield out of U.S. dollars to whatever like level of risk you're willing to take with them. I mean, those are that's for like billion and trillion dollar companies, you know. Like that's not for. Isn't that like what you're like saying though? Like the button up, like treasury management professionals, like that's that's their vibe, right? I'm just like, saying, like, don't ape into fucking anchor. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that's yeah. literally all I'm saying. Yeah, it's much worse. Like, yeah, I, I just feel like I completely, totally share your exasperation at this like seemingly unending obsession with yield generation. Yeah. Um, from my perspective, like you hear it a lot. You hear a lot about yield farming, right? Yeah, yeah. But like a lot of sources of yield are not yield farming. They're risk taking, right? Like you're, you know, if you're putting your ETH in USDC into a USDC ETH mm. pool, uh, you face the risk of impermanent loss, right? Um, it's a risk that you're taking, right? And truly riskless yield is like very, very hard to come by, right? Um, yeah, maybe impossible to come by. Yeah. Uh, and so... 
you know, maybe there is no risk-free rate. There is no risk-free rate. The risk-free rate is a meme. <laughs> the risk-free rate is the Snow Dog 1.8 billion percent APY. <laughs> I just personally would feel extremely uncomfortable participating in any DAO where the treasury management is not fully on-chain. I agree. I agree. One million percent. Um, okay. We haven't done this in a long time. It's time for a decent obituary. Oh, baby. Here we go. Who died, Matt? Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> an OG of DeFi. <laughs> Bancor Protocol. Bancor. Uh, I don't think they're dead dead, but oh. uh, but they have turned off their core feature of impermanent loss protection. Oh, no. Dude, this is like, man, I'll, I'll, I'll give a little aside here. Mm. Um, I went to ETH Denver in February, uh, and Bancor had this like table where they were handing out condoms. Oh, my God. That said, use IL protection. I hate this. And practice safe decks. Oh, God. I really hate this. And so naturally, I wanted to go as far as possible. But uh, one of my friends that I was with was like keen on getting a Bancor sticker. Uh, and so he like dragged me to the Bancor table. And uh, what was wrong with this guy? Like the uh, he was like, he was on a sticker run, man. I, don't ask me why. Uh <laughs> Like the, you know, ex-TradFi guy that I am, DeFi is, like, low-key kind of interesting to me. Uh, and so I thought, okay, like, I'll, I'll talk to this dude about Bancor. Like, what is impermanent loss protection? Um, and basically, it sort of starts to sound like the way it works is Bancor, uh, the BNT token, like their governance token, uh, has unlimited supply. Mm, <laughs> does this sound nice. familiar? Nice. I have heard of one of these. Does this sound familiar Might have started with an L and ended with a, the Una. Una. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and so basically the, the idea is, uh, you provide liquidity to Bancor, um, and then, um, they'll just like print BNT for you, uh, to the point where like, if you're providing like liquidity on, on a pair, uh, and you hit any impermanent loss, they'll just like make you whole by printing BNT. And, uh, and so it death spiraled, uh, earlier this week and they basically had to turn off impermanent loss protection. Mm. The big issue that I had with this is that like the guy that I was talking to at the Bancor table at ETH Denver got like super defensive. Mm. As soon as I was like, wait, but like, what if like nobody wants to buy your BNT from you or Mm -hmm. like, that doesn't make sense. How do you just like keep printing? Right. Mm -hmm. Like. You know, like I, I hold this fundamental conviction that uh, providing liquidity on chain is actually like a losing trade almost every time, mm. uh, like uh, on average. Uh, mm. Sorry, not almost every time. On average, it's a losing trade because things can happen faster on a centralized exchange than they can happen on a decentralized exchange just because of block times. Right. So um, if a move happens, it's going to happen first on the centralized exchange by a mm. period of up to 15 seconds. If we're talking about Ethereum mainnet. Right. Mm. Um there's is an that because of the Oracle, like, getting to the decentralized exchange? It's just that, like, blocks only happen every 15 seconds versus, like, trades on a centralized exchange can happen at the microsecond level. Oh, I see. Yeah, it's okay. just the, it's to the sheer granularity. Okay, so the trades will happen, it's because the settlement happens on chain, and so the trade and the settlement have to happen together, whereas a trade can just happen on a centralized exchange and the settlement Trade can and settlement later. can happen yeah. with a lower, like, finer resolution, uh, like lower latency is the idea. It's all latency. Yeah, yeah. So if a move happens, it happens first on the centralized side of the world because they're not waiting 15 seconds to produce a yeah, block that has I those see, trades. Yeah, okay, yeah. 
And then there's an arbitrage opportunity. This is the fundamental basis of something like Uniswap or like automated market making is that there's an arbitrage opportunity. Someone can come in and correct the like effective price by buying up whatever token on the cheap, selling whatever token on the expensive on chain, and then arbing that against the, the like real level on the centralized exchange. The reason the centralized exchange is the real level is because it can happen faster there. Uh, and also generally with much more liquidity. So right? wherever the liquidity is, the price will generally kind of follow there. That like sort of price is discovery the price. will yeah. happen there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. It's liquidity and it's also latency, right? right. Um, okay. And on average, if you look at uh, people that have like LP'd for Uniswap V3, there's like an academic paper you can find um, where they analyze every LP position that's been created and on average people lose money. Um, so it's better to just buy the token if you actually believe in it. Yeah, hundred percent. Or like hold, hold both. To, you know, like do do whatever you want. But like, um, you know, yeah. If you believe in a token, don't like LP like don't it. LP don't it, LP it, it against anything else. Yeah, like like keep your bets individual. The other issue, right, is that like when you think about yield from uh like a LP perspective, uh, you're always quoted the like seven day rolling um like transaction fees that the pool generated divided Mm. by the like total asset value in the pool uh and so that becomes the yield which is like if you had put in a dollar on into this protocol uh or into this pool uh seven days ago what would your roi have been what would your Mm. yield have been on that um naturally like the more volatile something is the more often these arbitrage transactions happen Mm -hmm. the more frequently like you're going to generate transaction fees uh, and so the more volatile it is and the like lower liquidity something is like the more it tends to like have a higher like yield or expected yield, but it's all backward looking, right? So you never have any idea what's going to happen, what kind of fees you're going to generate, you know, providing liquidity on one of these things. Mm. Generally the shittier the shit coin, like the higher amount of volatility happens and then so the more fees that like that pool generates mm. uh the higher yield you're quoted but yeah. you really have no idea right right okay um that's not yield to me yeah yeah uh no, definitely not that's basically just printing new tokens yeah to pay for this supposed incentive or like if, just effectively like it's yeah. Bancor uh like subsidizing market makers it's just incentive. It's just like an incentive they're, program. They're subsidizing market makers, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Uh, you know, people are willing to provide liquidity into this thing where, like, they're generally on the wrong side. Which is interesting because some centralized exchanges also do this. Actually, every centralized exchange does this. You're talking they like incentivize uh, market makers, like maker taker rates, mm-hmm. like uh, yeah, like in the stock market as well, right? Yeah. Uh, Many times they give subsidies too. Huh. Um, uh, I mean, a lot of times protocols will just give a large chunk of their tokens to market makers yeah. in order to make liquid markets, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. which is like not a crazy idea if you're a protocol that like it's isn't a great a market idea. Maker. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. Okay, so Bancor RIP or no RIP? It's still around? Uh, yeah, but like what is their what is their value add here if they can I mean, no longer provide a, impermanent exactly. loss protection? Like impermanent loss protection just definitionally can't actually exist okay so we the token went to actual zero uh i think so yeah Yeah, Um, nice congrats on that guys (laughs) ain't easy dude even luna is at 0.0000001 sorry luna classic Um, oh (laughs) wow uh let's see bnt bank or now 52 cents ah so i guess they Um, caught it like mid death spiral i don't know nice well 
Really, congrats on that then. Yeah. Um, uh, wow, man. dude, this thing was at twenty three bucks. Wow, really? <laughs> Holy shit! Yeah, that's wild, dude. Oh man. Oh man. Sucks. You know, Bancor is like a not a bad proxy just because it's such an old OG DeFi protocol. Yeah. That like it was around for the twenty seventeen bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again around for this last bubble, it's just like not a terrible proxy for the overall market sentiment. All right, bullish. Well, no, it it was it was a terrible proxy once DeFi summer went away, right? Uh, it's yeah, maybe yeah. a better proxy for DeFi. Okay, um, well, we'll hit on maybe like one or two more things. Uh, speaking of Uniswap, they just acquired Genie. So which interesting. Is, yeah, super interesting. Yeah, Genie is a NFT marketplace aggregator, very similar to Gem. If anybody has used that, uh, they basically look at like orders and like trades on other marketplaces and look at liquidity on other marketplaces and aggregate all of that on their uh, webpage and they let you place trades there. Um, we'll see what happens there. I mean, they, they kind of had hinted before that they were going to drop a token, but I don't know what they'll do now. Do you know? Uh, well, so this is one of the interesting aspects of the story, right, is they did an airdrop. Oh, did they? I actually didn't see that part. So when Uniswap acquired, Uniswap Labs acquired Genie. Mm-hmm. Um, so Uniswap, there's the protocol, and then mm-hmm. there's Uniswap Labs, which mm-hmm. like develops the protocol. Um, Uniswap Labs acquired Genie, and they gave a USDC-denominated airdrop to users of the platform. Nice. Um, as like, uh, basically like, yeah, forget about the Genie token. We'll just give you a USDC denominator Very airdrop. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, super interesting. Never heard of that before. A stable coin Neither airdrop. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um, wow, it's a stable coin world, man. <laughs> Thousand year American empire. Do you think, um, do you think people would use a, a blockchain where the native token was a, was USDC? Yes, absolutely. I know I would. Yeah, I mean it. It decomplicates things. the The issue is you can't fuck with the tokenomics as much. Like for example, EIP one five five nine, you can only do that because like ETH has variable supply, right? Mm. With USDC, you'd need to like think through things a little bit more. But like even if it's just the gas token, yeah. Right? Look, um, this is not the podcast where we think through things like that. <laughs> uh, all right, we've been running for a while. Uh, anything else you want to hit? Uh, um, there is a phone coming out, <laughs> a Solana phone. Uh, uh, I really, you know, can't imagine wanting anything less. Oh man, uh, I, I heard a I heard a good joke. It was like, you know how like when you have an Android, the text come in green. Yeah. If you have a Solana phone, do they come in in like the Solana like color scheme? <laughs> I was gonna say they come in red. They come in red. What? Yeah, because you're just down bad. <laughs> Uh, yeah, guys do better. Um, <laughs> Harmony bridge hack, hundred million dollars. Yeah. Pretty crazy. They had a, they had five validators that like could sign off on like, uh, releasing funds like onto the like Ethereum side. Uh-huh. Uh, so you, when you bridge back to Ethereum, like, uh, there's like five like oracles that are basically like agreeing, except they only needed two of them. This is a two huh. of five signature system. Nice. I am the Dow. Why have two of five? I've never heard of that, right? Like, why not have two of three? Like, what? Like, maybe three of five. Maybe at some point they like didn't couldn't reach all three people, <laughs> and and so they needed to drop it to two. I mean, this is just nuts. Mm. Um, this is the problem with any blockchain that doesn't have its native token listed on like super liquid exchanges. Most people's ability to access that blockchain is 
through the bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, you know, the bridge creates, like, a really large, like, target for you. Yeah. I'm actually kind of concerned about Polygon on this front because it's, like, the next most, like, bridge-heavy one that I can think of. Um, like, native Polygon is not available on Coinbase, for example. Yeah. Um, yeah, because every exchange would have to support the chain yeah. to support the token. Yeah. Um, um, and it's, uh, I mean... What's really interesting is Coinbase added support for Polygon-based USDC and Polygon-based ETH. And Polygon-based NFTs. But not Polygon-based Polygon. That is really interesting. Well, uh, are they like different token standards? The I USDC, guess. USDC, ETH, and Polygon? Well, Polygon is the, native, is the native token, right? Yeah, yeah. but is it like uh, different token standard? Uh, it must be. It's not, you know, ERC twenty, like, right? It's the native token. Um, yeah, so, the same way that ETH and Wrapped ETH are different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Polygon. But and how does like, that? I don't know how that works on the Polygon chain. Um, it's the same EVM, like same uh, same, same ERC twenty. Yeah, okay, yeah. I see. Okay. Huh. Isn't that interesting? Wow. Bearish Polygon. But bullish, maybe if they get bullish? their... I don't know. I don't know. They're making moves. You know, they are making moves. Actually, they're making I, a lot. I of saw. Moves. I saw a card today. The Polygon Bentley. Oh baby, <laughs> yeah. The transmission uh, is automatic. Oh my lord! All right, we cannot top that. <laughs> Thanks for listening in. This is a fun one. A lot going on this week. We'll be back again next week with a decent deep dive. Talk to us on Twitter. We'll be around. Have a good weekend, everybody. Till then, stay decent. None of this was financial advice, legal advice, investment advice, or any other kind of advice. Uh, If you're looking for advice, you are definitely in the wrong place. Uh, Until next time, stay decent.